Um, we're going to carry on with our series this morning, um, a series that we've given the title Family Values. Family Values. Um, and really what this series is all about, what we've been doing together is exploring what it means to be a part of God's family. What are our values, what are our traditions, what truths do we defend, what truths do we uphold together? What sort of behaviour can you expect from your Christian brothers and sisters? And what sort of behaviour does our Heavenly Father expect from us? Um, and how does he discipline us when we mess up? And so, so far in this series, um, we've looked at two values. Martin mentioned them at the start of our service today. The first week, we talked about how when it comes to God's family, we are accepted and not rejected. Accepted, not rejected. And we looked at a verse from Romans chapter 15, um, verse 7, where Paul says, accept one another then just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. Accept one another. And we looked at that story, that famous story that Jesus tells of a lost Son, a child that goes away from his family home and eventually decides to return, hoping and praying that he might find a place in his father's house again, even if it's just as a servant. But of course, as we know, he's received with open arms, a loving embrace from a father who celebrated the return of his son. And we also looked at the older brother in the story, the one who was indignant, a bit upset, wanted to keep his younger brother in his sin. This son of yours who squandered your property with prostitutes. It's all right. And you kill the fattened calf for him. It's outrageous. It's offensive. What were you thinking? But the father says we had to celebrate. We had to be glad because this son of yours was lost and is found. He was dead and is alive again. And so we talked about how the father's heart, God's heart, is on the lost. And then last week we moved on from there and we talked about how when it comes to God's family, we are useful, not useless. Useful, not useless. We looked at Paul's letter to Philemon and in particular his appeal for Onesimus, that former slave who had wronged his master and ran away, escaped to the city, but whilst he was there, found Jesus. He had turned his life around. And in the letter, Paul encourages Philemon to embrace Onesimus, not as a slave again, but as a brother in Christ. Accept him, don't reject him. As one of the family, in verse 11, he says, Formerly, he was useless to you, but now he has become useful both to you and to me. God has turned his life around. He has given him new purpose, new meaning. And so God accepts us into his family and he gives us new purpose and meaning. And this morning we're going to move on to a third value, which is this. When it comes to God's family, we are formed and not forgotten. Formed and not forgotten. There we are. It's on the fridge again, so you won't forget. 
What does it mean to be formed? Well, I think it means that we're made into a specific shape. We're made into a specific form, moulded, if you like, in a particular way. Because while it's absolutely true that God accepts us just as we are, the Bible says that while we're still sinners, Christ died for us. He loves us far, far too much to leave us that way. As any loving father would, God wants us to become the best that we can be. He wants us to develop in the right way, to grow up strong and healthy. As many of you know, I'm currently attempting to raise two children of my own. <laughs> That's the correct way to do it, right? Lock them up. They're safer that way, I think. I've got Elijah, who's five, and Amelie, who is seven, and I want to help them to become the best that they can be, but it's a challenge. It's rarely an easy thing. For example, if it were up to my son, he would gladly eat macaroni and cheese for every single meal. When we asked him last year what he would like for his birthday tea, whatever you want, son, what do you fancy, he replied, macaroni and cheese on pizza. <laughs> that's double cheese and double carbs. I mean, that's all we had. Of course, it was his birthday. It wasn't too bad, actually. Um, but, you, you know, normally, normally I try to feed him the right stuff. I try to get some vegetables into him. It's very disheartening when you spend an hour or so preparing a balanced nutritional meal only to have him scream, oh, it's gross, I hate it, you've ruined my whole day. <laughs> but I know it's what he needs to help him grow. Of course, children need more than just food to help them mature. They need love and they need affection. They need care and attention. Sometimes they need correction and they need discipline. I remember one morning... Um, when my daughter was younger, by the way, I'm, I'm going to tell you this story because it's funny, but you have to promise me two things before I tell you, okay? Firstly, you, you have to promise not to phone Childline. <laughs> if you could stick your phones away, that'd be great. Um, uh, secondly, you have to promise me that you won't tell Amelie that I told you the story. Okay. So, um, it was early in the morning, and Charlotte and I were still in bed, um, and Amelie was much, much younger at this point, um, and I could hear her out on the landing talking to herself. And I couldn't quite work out what she was saying, but it sounded like, mmm, delicious. And I thought, that sounds wrong. Like, <laughs> what's delicious? You know, she's, she's too young to go make her own breakfast, and, and I think we still had the stair gate up at this point. So I listened a bit harder, and she says, Mmm, delicious wee-wee toilet. <laughs> now, my brain was a bit groggy, and uh, it took me a few minutes to connect the dots, but when I did, I shot out onto the landing, and, and there was Amelie holding a cup. I don't know where she got a cup from, but holding a cup full of water. Morning, Amelie. Morning, Daddy. Amelie, where did you get that water? Takes me by the hand, leads me to the toilet. Now, the cup was full, so to this day, I don't know whether she just had a sip or if it was the second cup. Um, 
but what do you do in that moment? I mean, I think I just gave her some orange juice and hoped for the best. Um, yeah, but it, you know, it was a teachable moment. Toilet water is not for drinking. <laughs> we both learned something that day. Um, there have been many other teachable moments, and I'm sure that there will be many more. But my desire is, as a father, that with enough care and attention, they will eventually become all that they can be. Before I came on board here as the assistant pastor, I spent a couple of years working for social services. And in particular, I worked with children who had suffered abuse in the home. And the most common form of child abuse in the UK, it's not physical or emotional abuse, but it's neglect. It's the ongoing failure of a parent or carer to meet a child's basic needs. Last year, over 27,000 children were identified as needing protection from neglect. This is a huge national problem. And the consequences of neglect are severe. It causes lasting damage to both physical and mental health. And it's wrong. Children should never be forgotten. I'm completely convinced that God is utterly, utterly heartbroken by it. I feel that deeply. And the reason I think that is because I know that God, our God, our Heavenly Father, is not someone who forgets about his children. He's not someone who abandons us. We've sung about it this morning already. And as we've seen in this series up until this point, God is actively looking for his lost children. He's looking for those that have walked away from the family home. But you know, once we return home, he doesn't want to just gather us in and shut the door. Children to be seen and not heard from, no. He wants to help us to grow to maturity. And he wants his family to be a place where we can be nurtured and where we can receive all that we need to become the best that we can be. Because in God's family, we are formed and not forgotten. So, what does this look like? Well, I wonder if you would turn with me to Paul's letter to the Ephesians. I want to spend a bit of time with you this morning um, in chapter 4. If you could find that, that would be great. So in this chapter, um, in the letter indeed, Paul is writing to the church, the family of God. And here in chapter 4, he's highlighting some family values. In verse 2, he says that we are to be completely humble and gentle, be patient, bearing with one another in love. Some characteristics there of God's family. And then in verse 4, he reminds them that we are all together in this family. He says there's one body and one spirit. Just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one law, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. And then in verse 7, he um, reminds them that they've all been given grace. Of course, Steve spent some time speaking about grace last week. But then he comes on to, in verse 11, to say this. Now... These are the gifts Christ gave to the church. The apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and the teachers. Five 
different things he mentions here, five different roles. Sometimes they're referred to as offices. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors and teachers. And before we uh, move on this morning, I just want to very quickly outline to you what each of these roles are, what they mean, just so there's no confusion. Firstly, he mentions apostles. Now, apostle, it just means sent one. It refers to somebody who has been sent by somebody else. The greatest apostle was Jesus, who was sent by God to earth to announce the kingdom of heaven, to talk about this new way of living. And then as he did that, he chose 12 guys um, to be his disciples, and he sent them to carry on the mission after he returned to heaven. In Matthew 28, it says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. They were sent by Jesus. That's why they're sometimes referred to as apostles. And so today then, people who start new ministries, people who establish new churches in order to reach people with God's love are apostles. In other words, the people who build up God's kingdom. Prophets are mentioned next. A prophet is someone who brings a message from God to somebody else. The Bible is full of prophets. It's loads if you get in the Old Testament. That's where most of them are. But the greatest amongst them, the greatest prophet, was Jesus. who said, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. The things that Jesus said, the things that he did, they all came from the Father. And so today, people who reveal God's heart, people who bring words of encouragement or comfort or correction or sometimes even a new direction we can describe as prophets. We do need a bit of care here though, just because someone says they have a message from God does not necessarily mean that they do. We need to check it against what we know to be true from the Bible. I've had many words of prophecy given to me over the years, and some have been wonderfully helpful, and others have been utter nonsense. So we need care. Evangelists are mentioned next. Now, the word evangelist literally means bringer of good news. Bringer of good news. The greatest evangelist in the Bible was Jesus. I thought you might get there ahead of me. Keep up. Quoting the prophet Isaiah, Jesus said of himself, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom to the prisoners and recovery of sight to the blind. He sent me to set the oppressed free and proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. He led people to salvation. He forgave them of their sins. He brought them out of darkness. Good news indeed. And so today, evangelists are those that tell others about Jesus, who lead people to salvation, who speak boldly and confidently about their faith. Pastors are mentioned next. No idea what this one's about. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Um, the word pastor literally means shepherd. Shepherd. 
And really, it's just somebody who carries the responsibility of looking out for others. Just like a real shepherd, it's the duty of a pastor to watch out for those under his care, to feed them, to lead them to water or places of refreshing, to protect them, to keep them from danger. Jesus said of himself, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. Jesus was the best example of a pastor. And so today, pastors are those who give their life to serve others, to care for people, to lead them in the right way, to keep them safe from the things that would do them harm. And finally, Paul mentions teachers. Teachers teach. Not biology or maths, but the word of God. They show people what it means to live out the truth of Scripture. They impart wisdom and knowledge. And the greatest teacher of all time was... <laughs> told in Mark 1, the people were amazed at his teaching. Because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. You know, the things that Jesus have said have endured for thousands of years. People with no Christian background whatsoever have heard the things that he said. Do to others as they would have them do unto you. Turn the other cheek. Let him who is without sin cast the first stone. Render unto Caesar. A house divided and so on and so on. And so today, teachers are those that help shape our thinking about God. Help us to understand how we can go about living our lives for Jesus. And so there we have it. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Paul says these are the gifts that God has given to the church. How does he give these gifts? Well, firstly, as we've just seen, he shows us what each of these gifts look like. He demonstrates them to us. He gives us the best possible example of how we can emulate these gifts when we look at and study the life of Jesus. And secondly, I think God calls us into particular roles. I think he leads us into these roles and equips us to do them. Not in some super weird, spiritual way. Toby, you must go and teach. And then leather patches appear on his arms. And... But I think he leads us into these roles and he equips us to do the work. You know, some people here are just amazing at taking new ground, at getting out there and trying new things, the apostles amongst us. I think recently of the Lifehouse ministry, you know, that ministry that we started to reach adults with learning difficulties, taking new ground for Jesus, getting out there, trying something new, reaching new people with God's love. I know Kids Club at the moment are trying to change things up a bit so that they can reach more of the young boys with God's love. That's fantastic. Brilliant. Others are just very prayerful. They hear God speak to them, our prophets. They bring messages of encouragement into our lives. I just love seeing the prayer network in action that we've started over the last month. If anyone has a prayer request now or a need or something, they can just send a message and suddenly the whole church leaps into action. I'm praying for you. I think God is saying this. More of that, please. Paul says in his first letter to the Corinthians, the one who prophesies strengthens others, encourages them, and comforts them. A person who speaks in tongues is strengthened personally, but the one who speaks a word of prophecy strengthens the entire 
church. Come on. You know, if you feel God is saying something to you, laying something on your heart, please don't keep it to yourself because you might strengthen the entire church. Others are just amazing at sharing their faith. You know, they can turn any conversation into a conversation about Jesus. Our evangelists, we've got Alpha starting in a, uh, a week and a half. We need you guys on board for that. But I know many of you are just very open about your faith, about the incredible difference that Jesus has made in your life, and that's wonderful. Others just want to take care of people. Look after folk, our, our pastors. I know I've, I've said it before, but you guys make being a pastor in this church really, really easy. Someone gets sick and boom, you're there, taking care of them. I've turned up before on, on pastoral visits to find I'm like the sixth person that's been that day. And that's brilliant. That's amazing. Steve, Brenda and I might have the title of pastor, but there are many of you here with a pastoral gift. Some of you just want to teach. You know, while I'm whittling on at you this morning, there's a team of people over in the manor house bringing the Bible to life for our children and teenagers. And they do an amazing job. An amazing job. When I was in Sunday school, it was just fuzzy felt. Anyone remember fuzzy felt? <laughs> it's quite cool, actually. I had all these little characters and you stuck them on. Maybe we should bring it back. Um, but now we have craft and activities and colouring and many incredible things. And while most of it ends up in the recycling, I know it's impacted my children. And you know, we need more people to, to teach our teenagers. We really do. I read a, a book recently about Generation Z. We've reached the end of the alphabet. And one of the points the author makes is that teenagers today, they've got infinite, unlimited access to knowledge. You know, due to mobile technology, the world is literally at their fingertips. There's nothing they can't find out about instantly. But hardly any access to wisdom. The people who have lived, who have gained some perspective on life that can't be gleaned from a Wikipedia page. We need people to come alongside our teenagers and say, I've been there. I know what you're going through. It's going to be all right. I can see you through. And so I can see all of these giftings at work in the church, in particular, you know, in, in our church. But at the same time, we need to remember that we're all called to all of these roles. We've all been sent by God to the lost. We can all speak God's love into people's lives. Jesus wants all of us to tell other people about him, to be bold in sharing our faith. And God expects us to be on the lookout for one another, to take care of each other, to teach each other the truths that we have learned to grow as a family. And so I don't want us to get too hung up this morning on the which one am I or I don't feel like I'm any of them because on some level we are all called to be all of these things. But what's the purpose? Why are these gifts been given in the first place? Well, in verse 12, Paul tells us the reason. He says their responsibility, these people, their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. You see, I think in giving us these gifts, Jesus is making us responsible for each other. What Paul is highlighting here is a structure of intentional care within the family of God. God wants 
his family, to be about the business of looking after each other. In other words, we've been given these gifts so that no one is forgotten about. He carries on, he says, this will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. Then we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We, will be influ- we won't be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like the truth. Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body and the church. You see, the goal here is maturity. And maturity, according to Paul, is about becoming more and more like Christ. As the writer to the Hebrews puts it, he is both the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. He is the one who started it and he is the one who will finish it. And as we learn to be more and more like him, we grow in our maturity. But it doesn't happen by accident. It doesn't just occur around us. It takes time. It takes effort. Sometimes I find myself being frustrated at the rate at which my children are maturing. Why can't you just grow up? You're five now. You're not supposed to do that anymore. I mean, he's five. He probably is supposed to be doing that. But You know, it's entirely possible to be a member of God's family and to have been a member of God's family for a long time and never to grow up to never mature. The writer to the Hebrews, I think, felt this frustration when they wrote these words. You've been believers so long now that you ought to be teaching others. Instead, you need someone to teach you again the basic things about God's Word. You're like babies who who need milk and cannot eat solid food for someone who lives on milk is still an infant and doesn't know how to do what is right. Solid food is for those who are mature, who through training have the skill to recognize the difference between right and wrong. You see, maturity is something that doesn't come about automatically. It requires time and effort and commitment. Training, as it says here. As a parent, it means I need to take responsibility, take seriously the responsibility towards my children, to give them my time and my energy, to teach them right from wrong, to offer correction and rebuke. And as the family of God, it means that we need to take seriously our responsibility towards each other. To look out for each other. To care for one another, to encourage one another to grow and move on. Paul finishes by saying this, he says, He makes the whole body fit together perfectly. As each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. I love that. We all have our own part to play, our own special work. Why? Because it helps the other parts to grow to maturity, to keep the family healthy, to make sure that this is a place that is full of love, that we don't neglect one another, that we don't leave each other out in the cold, but that we ensure together that no one is forgotten about. And so as we reflect on this passage this week, as we, as we think about these words, um, I just want to 
leave you with a couple of questions that we can ask ourselves. The first thing I think maybe we can ask ourselves this morning is, am I maturing? Am I like a fine wine that gets better with age? Or am I like a yogurt that's starting to curdle (laughs) and smell a bit funny? Paul writes to Timothy, have nothing to do with godless myths and old wives' tales. Rather, train yourself to be godly. Well, physical training has some value, but godliness has value for all things. It holds promise for both the present life and the life to come. Maturity takes time and effort. It requires that we push ourselves beyond our comfort zones. Uh, Most of the girls um, in our life group have recently joined a running club. And the idea is that they're getting themselves fit enough to run 3K. So they turn up to life group now a little bit hot, tired. Um, And each week, the amount of time that they have to run for increases. So they have to keep pushing themselves to get better, to get fitter. So I wonder what we might need to do to push ourselves with our faith. I wonder what that might look like for us. Maybe it's just as simple as needing to trust God with something that we've been holding on to for a long time. Perhaps it might be sharing our faith with a co-worker, inviting them to Alpha. It might be getting involved in a mystery or perhaps thinking about starting something new. You know, maybe God laid something on your heart a long time ago. And this morning he's just calling you to pick that up again. Perhaps volunteering to teach. You know, we need teachers for more than just our kids and our young people. People that can bring the Bible to life. Or maybe it's being bold enough to share a word that God has given you for somebody else or for the church. Because you see, what's interesting about the gifts that Paul mentions in Galatians 4 is that in as much as they're given to help other people come to maturity, they also help those who pursue them come to maturity as well. You know, when we, when we need to trust God beyond our means, beyond what we think we can do, our maturity takes a huge leap. Training ourselves to be godly might also mean that we need to break some bad habits. If you're training for a marathon and eating cheeseburgers for dinner every night, it's going to be really hard work. Believe me. So that's the first question. Am I maturing? At the same time that we are looking at ourselves, I think we should ask the question, what am I doing to help those around me come to maturity? Is there anyone in this family who is being neglected, who is being looked over? You know, you might have been walking with Jesus for your entire life, and that's fantastic, that's great. What wisdom have you learned? What has God taught you over the years? What trials have you been through? What difficulties have you faced that he could now use in you to help somebody else on their journey? How might you encourage the next generation of believers? And you might be new to the faith, and that's great too, because God can still use you to help the rest of the family. You know, often people that are new in their faith have more passion and more drive to reach others because to them it's still fresh and new. And so we all have a part to play in encouraging each other and helping each other grow to maturity. 
Paul concludes, as each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. So I want us to do the best that we can to be the healthiest that we can be as the family of God. A family where people are accepted and not rejected. A family that recognises its members are now useful and not useless. And a family that together ensures that no one is forgotten, but that we are all formed. I wonder if the band um, would come and join me. And maybe if you're able, would you like to stand and we'll just um, pray as these guys lead us into a time of worship.